Well, welcome to An Experiment with Friends, the podcast from Lead Different. Um, it's Kyron and James again today. And it is. We are meeting one of James's friends. So, James, firstly, hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you, man? I'm awesome. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited to meet one of your friends. Tell me about them. Okay. I'm going to do it really quickly, and then I'm just going to introduce him. Okay. It's a guy. It's a male. His name is Ryan. Uh, Ryan and I have known each other for probably a bit over a decade, I think. Ryan, can you confirm it's about a decade? More than, I reckon. Yeah. Okay. So I would say that most people in the newsreading world uh, have heard of Ryan, right? Right. Which is one of those weird kind of strange things because there was a little period of time where Ryan was one of the most famous people probably at least in Western Australia, but even globally, we'll get into that. Okay. Which is a little crazy. Before we get to that, though, because it's it's crazy why he was famous. Like it's it's not necessarily the greatest reason to be well known. But before we get to that, Ryan, welcome to an experiment with friends. It's great to see you again. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. Uh, now, Ryan, um, before we get to why you're famous, uh, little Ryan, when he's running around, you were born in WA, right? I was born and raised in Perth. Excellent. Uh, to two parents, I presume. Yep. Yes, I did have a mum. <laughs> so tell us about you. Tell us about your family, your childhood. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Shelley, beautiful little part of Perth, oh, just south of the King River. Superb. Not too far from yeah, God's country. We like to call it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, re- really great childhood. Grew up with a big family. I've got two brothers and a sister. Um, yeah, I went to Rockland High School and Shelley Primary back in the day. And cool. And so then you you graduated top of your class, obviously. I duxed outdoor education. That was my strongest subject. Really? Everything else, everything else not so good at. That actually makes sense because you are a bit of an outdoorsman. Yeah. Try to be. Yeah. Uh, so you graduated in 2000. Um, so, so once you've graduated, uh, you go off and you study straight away or what, what do you do? I studied a couple of different courses after high school because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, looking back on it now, I, I didn't think I, I knew my ass from my tit really at that age. And, <laughs> Funny, you get that kind of pressure once you finish high school to just pick a profession that you're going to go into for the rest of your life and go and start studying it immediately. And yeah. I still had a lot about the world and about myself, I guess. So um, yeah. I, I picked a couple. Found it interesting at the time, including viticulture, which is you know study of wine and wine making process in the wine industry, um, which sounded great when I was 18 years old. But then quickly realised after six months of studying it, you actually have to do a lot of physical labour in a vineyard before you get <laughs> become a winemaker. Or, Realised that wasn't for me. Did agribusiness for a little while, thinking I was going to be a farmer, um, and then again quickly decided that wasn't for me. And then <laughs> sustainable development, which is what I've um, found my passion in, and I've been involved in ever since. So sustainable development. Talk to me about what that actually means. Yeah, well, it's a very broad topic. It's um, I guess the concept of sustainability is trying to do something forever without impacting on future generations um you know something that you can keep up without negative consequences so it can apply to all areas of life really but obviously in the environmental field we focus more on water energy waste um and those sorts of things so yeah got into the environmental management side started a job with a company and um and yeah i've been there ever since 12 years later i'm still there you know variety of roles i've done it Fine, but yeah, always coming back to sustainability. Not knowing what you knew, what you wanted to do out of school, and kind of mm. stumbling into sustainability, I kind of wanted to to push it back a little bit. So, to twelve year old Ryan, mm. what was twelve year old Ryan like running around? What what did he want to be? What did he want to do? Yeah, well, looking back on it now, I guess I can make make a connection between sustainability and, and my childhood because I grew up in a in an awesome area in Shelley, right near the Kang River. Spent a lot of time down there, but we also had a family home up in Coral Bay. Uh, about halfway up the coast of Western Australia, for those who don't know it, uh, or almost towards Exmouth, basically, and um, yeah. spent a lot of holidays there as a kid. Can we just clarify a holiday house? Is that just a house that you have where you go on holidays and that's the only time you use it and the rest of the time it just sits there? Well, it's interesting setup in Coral Bay. So the town is actually classed as holiday. Uh, I don't remember the exact term for it, but it's basically holiday accommodation. So if you're not yeah. living and working in the town and staying there permanently, you have to make your house available to rent for visitors yeah. and tourists. So when we're not there, we rent it out. Um, and thankfully, that covers most of the sizable yeah. mortgage. Um, but yeah, we'd always been up there camping. We took the caravan up there a number of times, just camped in tents, that sort of thing as well. So yeah, spent a lot of time up there. And obviously, once we bought the house, we were up there regularly. I guess that's where I developed an appreciation for nature and for the ocean and um, you know all things beautiful in it. And yeah. I guess that's where that desire to protect it and, and look after it came from. 
Yeah, if you, if you can't appreciate and want to look after the ocean after being to Coral Bay, there is something wrong mm-hmm. with you. It is Honestly, it's one of the most extraordinary places on the planet. I still have memories as a kid of just snorkeling, you know, 10 metres off the shore and, yeah. and talking to myself underwater through my snorkel, just going, wow, oh, wow, beautiful, amazing. That's <laughs> so cool. All right, so let's, let's do a hard transition then because I want to talk a bit about how you got famous and why mm. you were all over newspapers um, around the world. Um, can I just throw it to you and you just tell us the backstory and the whole thing? Is that, does that work? Absolutely. I'll do my best anyway. I guess to, to set the scene, um, uh, I went up there for a holiday back up to Coral Bay back yep. in uh, June of 2020 um, for the annual sort of trip that we make up there, um, you know, a bit of a fishing trip and, and family time. So took my partner up with me, um, who I'd been dating for about seven months at the time. Yeah. Um, and my parents were up there as well. So we're going to be spending a week in the house together with them. I was a little bit nervous, obviously, girlfriend getting to know the parents. She'd met them a couple of times before, and um, but, you know, just dinners and kind of brief conversations, but actually spending a week solid in the same building was going to be an interesting experience. That's a so. different scenario. <laughs> but, no, it was all going great. Uh, so we arrived up there and uh, we spent the first couple of days with them, uh, had a couple of nice days out on the boat, did yeah. some fishing. Um, and so my partner is Russian. Her name's Galina. Um, yeah. And she on the boat with us the first time, literally the first time she'd been on, on a boat on that fishing trip. She hauled in about 10 gigantic squid that day and the rest of us caught one or two. <laughs> I think it was like I'd like to think, but she also had a bit of a knack for it. So, so yeah, holiday was going swimmingly well. Um, yeah. And on the third day, we uh, decided to go back out on the boat again. Yeah. Um, really nice weather, really nice conditions and, and set out for the day. Um, bit of a long trip, I guess, to uh, get to a, a certain fishing spot that we're aiming for, kind of outside the Ningaloo Reef. Yeah. Um, if you're familiar with Coral Bay, like you are, James, there's a, a yeah. fringing reef, I guess yeah. you can call Ningaloo Reef, kind of runs along the shape of the coastline just a couple of kilometres offshore in most parts. Yeah. Um, and water level kind of gets a lot deeper outside of the reef, and that's where you get your serious fish. So we were heading out there to get some snapper and, and whatever else that we were targeting. Um, how, how big is the boat? Uh, 6.1 metre boat, about oh, okay. I think 18 That's not a yeah. small little dinghy. Yeah, so enough to hold, you know, four or six people comfortably and, and do fishing off and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, Old Man was a very serious boaty and, uh, yeah, been fishing up in Coral Bay, like I said, for, you know, best part of 20, 30 years, really. Um, yeah. And, and knew, knew all our spots, had all the, the best spots marked on the GPS and that sort of thing and <laughs> knew the area like the back of our hands, really, so... Um, yeah. headed out there for a spot of fishing. Um, on the way out there, we were kind of trawling, um, if you know what that means, basically running a lure along behind the boat, traveling at slow, slow speed, um, trying to catch a mackerel or one of the you know faster sort of swimming game fish. Um, again, Galena, beginner's luck, hooked something on her rod. So we stopped <laughs> the boat. Um, she started winding it in. Um, and then uh, as we were kind of doing that and getting everything sorted in the boat, um, a set of a big swell sort of came through just a freak kind of set of waves um and like i said it was a beautiful day like pretty fine conditions hardly any wind up until then there was barely any swell and then just yeah. all of a sudden there was a big wave coming at us um and the, like i said the boat was stopped we were just kind of sitting there trying to get our gear sorted out and bring this fish in um and so yeah the first wave kind of just was upon us all of a sudden and it just grew and grew and grew and uh thankfully past the boat we got pushed right over the top of it right um but went past us, but then obviously, as you know, that as you might know, the second wave is usually the biggest one in a set of three. Right. Um, and it was just like an absolute wall of water coming at us. Um, and I, I yelled to my dad to, to get the boat started and, and try to turn it around firstly so we could face the wave head on, which is a bit yeah. easier to go over the wave rather than being side, side on in a boat, but also just to start the engine and get the hell out of there. Um, yeah. But because like, we'd stopped and put it in neutral, it took a few seconds to do that. Um, and we couldn't turn the boat around in time. Um, so unfortunately that, uh, that wave came through and caught us and we were just literally right in the absolute middle of the wave at the wrong time. Uh, and the wave caught the boat, flipped the boat over, um, upside down and, and into the water and then absolutely buried us with the, the force of the wave as well and pushed us under for a fair while. Jeez. Um, so yeah, we all kind of got impacted differently, I guess. So my girlfriend and I were standing at the back half of the boat. We were doing the fishing. So we almost got kind of thrown clear off the boat when it flipped. Uh, but my parents were towards the front of the boat in the cabin. Um, you know, oh. My dad was trying to get, get the steering wheel and the controls going. So um, so they got knocked around a lot when the wave flipped the boat over because um, there's a big sort of canopy that sits over the top of the, 
the uh, the steering wheel and the controls at the front. Um, and so they both suffered some pretty serious head injuries from that when the boat got flipped and then got thrown into the water. Um, like I said, I got pinned down by the wave for a long time. I mean, it seemed like an eternity. eternity it like- yeah, I mean, it was probably 20 seconds or 30 seconds, but it honestly felt like, yeah, a feeling I've 20, never had before. But it's like 20, 30 seconds of utter chaos, though, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, you don't know your head. Yeah. The shock of just what, what's just happened, the, you know, the questions that start popping into your head of where is everyone else? Yeah. Which way is up? How do I get out of this? And then, <laughs> not to panic because you can't breathe. So, but managed to force my way to the surface. Um, and when I came up, the boat was already about 50 metres away from me. Oh. Um, wow. I could see my, my girlfriend, Galena, was, was kind of swimming around the boat. Um, and, you know, immediately my first thoughts just went to where mum and dad. Yeah. And I remember just yelling, where's dad? Where's dad? Where's mum? Yeah. Um, and, and just started swimming towards the boat as fast as I could to try and help her and, and get back to the boat. Um, yeah. After a few seconds, my, my old man kind of floated up to the surface. So he was unconscious again from the, the head injuries that he sustained when the boat flipped. But he came up to the top. Um, so we grabbed him um, and started trying to do resus. Basically, yeah. we dragged him over the boat and we were both trying to support him while I was trying to do compressions and, and breaths in the water. Um, and, I mean, I, I used to be a lifeguard for about seven years, a I said, lifeguard. I, I do. I did say. remember that you are a lifeguard. I'm like, so you're a really competent swimmer. You know the dangers really of water. You know swimmer. all this stuff. And yet it was that but, chaotic. Yeah, but like I said before as well, Galena was literally her second time on a boat and she grew up in Russia, so not a very strong swimmer at all. Um, and, you know, absolutely crazy situation for, for all of us, really, but especially for her. She had no idea what was going on. But cool. uh, we were just trying to talk each other through it, basically. Um, but, I mean, like I was going to say, it doesn't matter how many first aid courses you've done, actually trying to do resus when you're treading water in the middle of an ocean with waves coming over the top of you and supporting somebody else's body weight while trying so, to do compressions. This sort of thing is almost impossible. Yeah, I don't, but, I don't even think that's even impossible. It, it doesn't sound like it's possible. Uh, it wouldn't have been as effective as doing it on dry land, I'm sure, and, and doing it with defib and that sort of thing. But, you know, thanks to shock and adrenaline, yeah. your body's capable of some pretty amazing things in the moment. So, Is the boat still capsized? Yes, absolutely. So yeah. it flipped upside down and then the cabin started to fill with water. So there was absolutely okay. no way to back up. So, yeah, boat was still upside down. We were kind of clinging onto it. Waves were still kind of washing through. And like you said, it was just utter chaos. Like it was... There was anchor ropes and ropes from the boat in the water that were wrapping around us um, and, you know, and getting caught on things. We had fishing lines and, and lures in the water still. My girlfriend had a lure stuck into her shirt that was stabbing her and then I had to try and remove that in between doing resuscitation. Jeez. Um, and all of our gear floating in the water and, you know, it was just absolute mayhem. And, you know, constantly still trying to watch for waves as well because that big set of three had passed, but we were still obviously paranoid that more would be coming. And we were only a couple of hundred metres away from the reef that we were sitting outside of and the waves were pushing us towards the reef slowly and slowly. Yeah. So a hell of things going on. Um, I was trying to do research with my dad and he was kind of semi-conscious. He was gurgling a lot and kind of mumbling and, you know, I, I really had a lot of hope that he was going to come back. Um, but unfortunately he didn't, no matter how hard we tried. Yeah. And then after, again, like an eternity, it was probably more like about five minutes, um, yeah. we spotted my mum. My mum came to the surface about 100 metres away. Um, so I got my partner to hold on to my dad next to the boat and I swam over to my mum and, and got her, brought her back to the boat. Again, tried the same thing to do resus for a while, but um, I could tell straight away with my mum that she definitely wasn't coming back. She was not responsive at all and her face had just changed. And yeah. I'm not sure if you've ever seen a dead person, but you can yeah. tell all the time you know. when somebody's soul or whatever you want to call it has left, has, yeah. has left them. So, I knew straight away that my mum was coming back. That didn't stop me from trying, but yeah. <laughs> well, you're stubborn, if nothing else. <laughs> so we did for a little while to, to try to bring them back. But then after probably 20 minutes or so, we started to realise, you know, it wasn't going to be fruitful and we had to start thinking about ourselves a little bit. And like I said earlier, the waves were pushing us towards the reef. And that was the main thing we were concerned about was getting washed up on that reef with waves coming through. We would have been absolutely torn to shreds on a limestone, rocky sort of reef. So. Yeah. Um, so we had to make the decision basically to get away from the boat and swim back to the, the opening or the passage in the reef that we driven out through originally, um, which was yeah, one of the most difficult decisions I've ever had to make basically because I knew that it meant giving up on my parents and, you know, and, and going off on our own, which is also quite dangerous as well, and, and swimming away from the boat. I mean, as you probably know, they always tell you if you're in a stranded situation, always stay with the vehicle or with the boat or whatever it is. And 
they're a lot easier to find. But again, we were so paranoid of being washed onto the reef, we had to move. So uh, thankfully there was one life jacket floating in the water that had kind of popped out when the yeah. boat got flipped and, and my girlfriend put that on. Um, and then I had to duck dive under the boat a few times to try and retrieve another one, uh, which was really, really difficult. Yeah. Um, just with the, the shock, um, trying to hold your breath and, and slow your breathing down to the point where you can go underwater for 20 or 30 seconds is really difficult. Yeah. Um, and you know, the boat's, boat's upside down, so everything's in an unfamiliar position. It's really dark underneath there. Um, but yeah, I did my best a few times to try and retrieve a couple of things that might help us. Um, on one of the dives down, I was feeling around in the boat and I felt um, our family dog. So I'd completely forgotten that the, and my parents' dog was actually on the boat with us as well. Oh. We tied her up in one of the chairs just before my girlfriend was uh, starting to bring in that fish that I spoke about earlier because yeah. obviously, you know, the dog goes a bit nuts when the fish come into the boat, usually tie her up, um, keep yeah. her at arm's length. Sort of thing. But, yeah, so she was tied into the boat when it flipped over, so she had drowned and, and been held up in the water. Yeah. And, you know, in the shock and the chaos of everything that was going on and worrying about my parents, I'd completely forgotten about the dog. And yeah. I just had a moment, oh, my God, I'd completely forgotten about the dog. The dog has died as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, anyway, on a side note, so managed to retrieve another life jacket and, and come back up to the surface and, um and then but i just felt bad like we couldn't leave my parents just sitting there in the water so we basically made the decision to tie them to the boat in case help did come along um you know somebody might be able to pull them out and and yeah. try resuscitate again um but also just out of respect for their bodies and, and not wanting them to just you know drift off into the ocean or be eaten by sharks or anything like that i guess yeah. was my thinking at the moment and so i secured them to the boat uh with a bunch of ropes basically and uh, I had to say goodbye in that moment, which is pretty tough. Yeah. yeah. That's extraordinary. One of the questions I have is just in this, like your life literally changed so dramatically within a couple of minutes, like, you know, a few minutes before you were on, on the boat and you know, the fish was coming in and you're kind of just relaxed and enjoying the time. And then all of a sudden things have changed and your priorities have changed. It's not about, oh, let's get this fish in. It's like we're making life or death decisions for us right now. Like how, oh. much, how much of a jarring situation was that for you? Yeah. Well, I guess you don't think about it in the moment. Um, yeah. I've reflected, reflected on it a lot since then. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's crazy to think about it now. I mean, like you said, it was just a perfect day out, perfect situation. Everything was going well. My, my girlfriend was getting to know my parents and, you know, getting along really well and, and then just absolute chaos, just out of nowhere. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess that's one thing I've taken out of it is that life can change in an instant, um, yeah. no matter how well things are going, as, as morbid as that might sound. <laughs> yeah. So then you've you've made the decision, so you've, you've tied your parents to the boat, their bodies to the boat, and you've made the decision to to leave the boat. How did that go for you guys from there? So Well, because she can't swim, You basically you're saying? Oh, I mean, she can swim, but she's not a, a strong swimmer, you know, in terms of knowing her freestyle and survival backstroke and yeah. all those other things to learn swim lessons. Probably really competent um, on frozen water, though, like on ice. She's probably amazing. Yeah, yeah, much better at ice skating than I am, yeah. absolutely. But, but, yeah, more of a, I guess you'd say, doggy paddler than a, a freestyler. Yeah. But thankfully, again, having those life jackets certainly yeah. helped. But, um, but we had a long journey ahead of us to get back to land. Um, but, I mean, I've got to say at this point that my girlfriend was absolutely amazing the whole way through. Um, yeah. So not just on the journey back, but in the aftermath as well. Like we just, we were talking to each other the whole way through, encouraging each other. Um, I had a bit of a moment there where I, I had a bit of a meltdown, um, I guess. And um, I guess just after we'd stopped resuscitation on my parents, it kind of, you know, when the reality was sitting, setting in that they both just passed away. I kind of, you know, lost my shit for a minute basically and started panicking a little and she managed yeah. to talk me through it and breathe and to calm down, which is amazing presence of mind in the moment, considering, you know, she'd also been through it and was obviously pretty shocked and pretty scared herself. So, yeah. but also um, the whole journey back, um, you know, I was hoping it would only make, it would only take a couple of hours, but it ended up taking, I think it was about four and a half, five hours of swimming. Um, land looks really close, but <laughs> when you're doing your doggy paddle, <laughs> it takes a long time to get there. So, yeah, but we basically just... You know, that water's not that going. warm, either. Oh, thankfully it was that time of year. It would have been okay. about 26. Okay. Know, the accident. 
yeah, I mean, any other part of the world or in cold water it would have been a, a different proposition because then we'd, you know, we've had to deal with hypothermia and, and everything else that comes along with that. But thankfully, it wasn't too bad. Don't get me wrong, my feet and my hands were cold after five hours in the water. Um, yeah, but it wasn't too bad, thankfully. And with the life jackets, it, it made it doable, but it was just a long swim. Um, yeah. We just had a system going. We stopped every 15 minutes and kind of had a bit of a rest and, and um, talked to each other through it and pumped each other up a little bit and um, had a bit of a, a rest and a, a breath and that sort of thing. And then we just kept going. Um, and we just kept doing that until we got to shore. And um, yeah, it took a long time. So we got to shore kind of a bit after sunset. Um, had a bit of a surreal moment about half an hour from shore. We um, we turned around and actually watched the sunset while we're floating in the ocean. Um, and, you know, just said a bit of a goodbye to my parents yeah. as well. Um, but then just kept pushing on for shore. And so we kind of made it at about dusk, really. Um, stumbled onto the shore and pretty much collapsed from exhaustion and then mm. then realised we had a pretty long walk ahead of us as well to get back to town. Um, so I probably should have mentioned earlier, but, I mean, we didn't um, check in with the Sea Rescue Authority that day when we went out on the boat um, right. just because we were so close to shore. We were such experienced fishermen. You know, yeah. we'd done it a million times before. We didn't see the need. We always checked in when we were going into deeper water or, you know, going a long way away, but um, we didn't that day. I also didn't get to activate the EPIRB or the Emergency Position Indicating Radio Beacon, um, which, you know, is the GPS satellite. So the signal can set off if you're in trouble. Um, you know, all the flares were damaged in the accident, obviously got wet and all that sort of thing. So they weren't working even when I re- tried to retrie- retrieve them. So so basically nobody had nobody knew that this had happened to us. We were out there on our own. And, you know, my oh. parents, it was just me and Galena and we were in the middle of nowhere by ourselves and no one was coming for us. I mean, eventually someone might have seen the boat or realised, but the amazing thing was there was so many people out fishing that day and for that entire accident and the entire swim back in, we didn't see anybody, not a single boat. We did see one pass maybe about a kilometre away yeah. and we were doing our utmost to get their attention. Um, I'm not. You've probably seen the, um, the emergency drills that they do on planes when they show you how to put the life jacket on and show this is the whistle for yeah, you know, yeah. light for a in the middle of the day they do squat <laughs> <laughs> I was blowing that door like anything <laughs> nobody heard it it's quite frustrating when they drove past and we couldn't get their attention and they you know just disappeared off into the distance and we realised we just had to keep going but apart from that we didn't see anybody the whole time so we knew we just had to keep going because there was no one coming for us so we started walking basically we, we kind of sat on the beach after we touched down for about half an hour and, and got our energy back a little bit um, and then just started walking. Um, we were thinking of kind of cutting across. So we were out on a point, I guess, and the bay, uh, back to Coral Bay, kind of comes around a corner a bit. Yeah. Um, so we were thinking of cutting across the land um, as a bit more of a as the crow flies sort of um, direct sort of route. Um, but then we were also in bare feet, um, and there's a lot of sticks and rocks and that sort of thing, potential for snakes. And we thought, okay, well, if one of us gets injured while we're walking back, that's going to make it harder to go the rest of the way. So let's take the safe route and we'll just go along the beach. Then we know where we're going. We can't go, of course. We can see the, the end goal and, and, you know, and maybe we'll bump into someone along the way back. So we just started walking back along the beach, basically. And um, thankfully, after a couple of hours, we came across a couple of people that were just camping on the beach. Um, and, yeah, I just saw a, sort of a dim light up at the top of the, the beach, kind of almost in the sand dunes, and I was w- wondering if I was starting to hallucinate or if it was a light, but I started walking towards it. And as I got closer, I realised it was a tent with a light on. Um, and, um, yeah, yelled out to a couple that were camping there. And um, at first, I think they actually thought we were scammers because we were in the middle of nowhere and we'd you know, yeah. come stumbling up the tent asking for help. And they were like, who are these people? What's going on here? Sort of thing. And I think but pretty pretty quickly they realised that we were genuine and we were actually exhausted. And, um, and we were just like, look, man, I just I just want some water and something to eat and can you please call the police off the ambulance for us? You know, once they realised we were genuine, they took us in straight away, gave us sleeping bags, gave us food and water, packed up their camp immediately and drove us back into town to the ambulance post. And the emergency services got involved from there, basically, so... Um, sent out a search party for my parents and the boat. Didn't find them all night. Kept looking all night. And then thankfully they found them the next morning at about yeah. 9 a.m. The next morning, my parents were thankfully still tied to the boat and yeah. they managed to retrieve the bodies and, and bring them back in. Coming back to the start of the story, I guess that's why I was famous for two or three days was that story was run in media all over the world, obviously throughout Australia a lot and WA especially, but um, yeah. got picked up by the BBC and CNN and, and Russian media and 
all over the place. So something that really stuck out to me, other than all of it, because the whole thing is just this. You know, I, I I don't I don't actually have the words to describe what it must have been like. But uh, when you and Galena were checking in every fifteen minutes and encouraging each other, epic job, whoever started that, whether it was you or her, uh, like that that just sounds like I've gone through some some stuff in my time and that is just what a great job for each other uh in that moment yeah i mean obviously i lost a couple of people out of that accident but i also formed a much much closer relationship with my girlfriend during that that day so you know and and not something that you'd want to trade for but um but yeah i mean a lot of things that came out of that day i guess and that was probably the biggest one was the, the impact that had on our relationship obviously it you know had a lot of negative impacts for a long time as well and a lot of stuff that we had to work through yeah um separately and together but yeah. um brought us a hell of a lot closer as well so um i'm forever grateful for the what she did that day and um i can honestly say i wouldn't have made it back without her and, and she yeah. would probably say the same about me so yeah yeah and that's 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 where i'm like oh man what an extraordinary teamwork um uh, that you and her showed um, yeah, I mean, I don't think you've got really much of another choice, I, but I guess some people <laughs> might go their own way or um, or just go into their shell and shut down in that sort of yeah. situation. And, um, yeah, I learned a lot about her that day, the way she handles adversity and, and stress and, you know, and how much she loved me and, and yeah. you know, and how well we worked together. So. And you alluded to how she brought you back to being you, like someone who can actually lead and, like, because she doesn't know what to do. Like, but she yeah. brought you back. Like, no, Ryan, we got some stuff to do. Ryan, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, she did. Yeah. yeah. So there are some key moments in there as well, Ryan, that I I noticed that are almost like an end point of this particular part of the journey, which only leads on to the beginning point of the next part of the journey. Like, I I think about your feet touching sand for the first time after you've swum that way, and that realization of like, oh, thank God we've made it. Yeah. But then that's just the end of that part like there's this whole other journey that's to come and even when you get to that that campsite and you see those people you're like oh thank god we've made it but that's just the start of like the end of that point and there's a start of, and so even when you get to emergency services like oh you were safe now and that's the end of that part of the journey but then that's the start of the rest of of your life essentially like did you notice anything in those moments like how did you make those decisions to go okay yep we've reached the end point Let's take the next step. How hard was that for you in those moments? Yeah, really hard. Not going to lie. Um, yeah. you're, you're right. When your feet touch down for the first time after swimming for a long time, it's a pretty awesome feeling. <laughs> and, and like I said, when you can see it getting closer and you think you're almost there, but you still got another hour to swim. <laughs> it's, it's a long time coming. Um, yeah, I almost collapsed when I got there. And I think, um, I mean, I had another bit of a meltdown once we touched down on sand. I think yeah, yeah. for the first time, that was the first moment. A, the shock and the adrenaline started wearing off because I knew the immediate danger had passed. But B, my mind had slowed down enough to actually process what had just happened and the fact that I just lost my parents. And yeah. when I sat down on the sound, I just cried like I'd never cried before. Just, you know, I just remember just wailing like a, like a baby, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So starting to process that, but then very quickly pushing that thought to the back of my mind and realizing that, again, there was another, another journey to come yet. And, and I had to man up and just get on with it. Um, and work through it again with Galena like we did the first bit. So once we got back to emergency services, then there was the whole next step of having to tell my family and do police interviews and oh, you know, yeah. deal with and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that was just the start. And there's a couple of things that I think that you assume are normal to do in those moments, which are not. Like you, you kind of say, well, you've got no choice. You've just got to man up. You've just got to do these things. Like you absolutely do have a choice. And like I, I did, there's some may not have made those active decisions, but I think you've made those courageous decisions every single time to, okay, yep, this is going to be hard work, but I'm going to take that next step. That's not a given. I don't, that just doesn't happen. That's, that's something which is, uh, which is the work. And to be completely honest, there was a moment there where I'm pretty sure I asked my girlfriend if I could just have a sleep on the sand for a little while. (laughs) And she was like, we've got to keep going. Um, and I did. I had a, a very quick little nap, like a ten-minute power nap, resting yeah. on the life jacket on the sand, and then, yeah. um, and then we got up and kept going. But I mean, I think having two people there probably helped as well because we spurred each other on and, and, and helped each other through it. If I was by myself, maybe I 
put in my decision. Maybe I just would have gone to sleep and just hoped that somebody came and found me or, or worried about walking back the next day, you know. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, difficult to say how you react. Yeah, I, I, I think the courage to just, and this is having gone, like when you go through hell, you realize there's times when other people are going to carry you. You have to be willing to be carried. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to be times when they carry you, when you carry them. Uh, and that's, that's when I know someone's truly courageous because not only were they willing to carry someone, but they were willing to be carried themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, if, does that make sense? And so hearing your story, I'm like, holy crap, that is incredibly courageous, that whole thing. From, from that point, and I kind of, as I alluded to before, like the, the beginning of the next journey sort of started once you guys are safe and starting to recover and then there's the conversation with families and then that, that whole process of the next weeks and months and, and year and 18 months, like what has that journey been like for you? How have you actually come to a place where you can and grieve and, and you know, you, you said you did some work individually but then work together as a couple? Like what did that, that look like? Yeah, well, I mean, it's been about 20 months now, about a year and eight months. So mm-hmm. it feels a lot longer. But, um, yeah, I guess a bit of water has gone under the bridge since then. So, I mean, initially the first probably month or so was just about dealing with the funeral um, yeah. and the coroner and the initial kind of shock of it and telling people and um, yeah. dealing with work and loss that came up. Um, um after that, um, or actually a couple of weeks before we held the funeral, um, I had a pretty strong feeling, I guess, that I wanted to channel the outpouring of, of support and love that we got from everyone into a positive cause and actually have something positive, um, you know, come out of a bad situation. So we started a, a fundraiser um, to fundraise for the emergency services up there who were absolutely amazing in what they did for us, but obviously work on a pretty limited budget and, and uh, it's all completely volunteer driven as well. So no one gets paid for it. Um, they're just volunteering their own time out the goodness mm-hmm. of their hearts. So so we were um, eternally grateful for them and we wanted to fundraise some money for them. We set the goal at 10,000 first and, and quickly smashed through that. So we jacked up to, <laughs> I think it was 20 and then up to 50 and then we went through 50 as well. Just wow. so, um, managed to raise a fair bit of money for the, the, the guys up there and uh, that's going towards a new ambulance, a four-wheel drive ambulance. For the area um it'll be based at coral bay but is also available to respond to emergencies around there as well so hopefully that comes in handy one one day um and you know making a positive impact on someone's life or, or save somebody or help somebody that, that's in distress or whatever the situation might be or, or a situation like we were in on the water so what was the, what was the media like in those first kind of mm-hmm. few days as well yeah that was the other thing probably over the first month or so was um the media intrusion i guess i would call it but um Looking back on it now, um, totally understand, I guess, um, you know, the contact that was made by media and, and how they go about their jobs and understand they have a job to do in and, and getting news out there and um, trying to get exclusives and that sort of thing. But at the time, I just found it absolutely despicable, I guess you would say. Um, I mean, they were trying to contact me through my work phone. So I actually lost my personal phone in the accident. So I was using my work phone, um, you know, until I could get back to Perth and get the replacement. Um, and somehow they got hold of my work number, probably, you know, off LinkedIn or the internet somewhere, and they were messaging and calling me on that, but also contacting me through Facebook, Messenger, LinkedIn, Instagram, you name it, um, offering interviews, even a current affair was keen to do an interview and all that sort of thing if we were willing to, you know, sell the story that we're going to pay us for it. Um, but, yeah, just all that contact in the first few days I found really intrusive and obviously not what you want to be dealing with. Um, in the immediate aftermath of, of such a traumatic sort of event. Um, so, I mean, we just basically ignored it and tried to politely ignore it as much as I could, uh, but also told a couple of them where to go. <laughs> that, that led up to the, the time of the, the funeral um, and mm. then that kind of other transition. What was the time after that like? Yeah, so I guess um, the first month is honestly just taken up with, um, you know, organising funerals, organising what to do with their estate, all their assets, all their belongings, all their... They had three properties. They were in between moving houses, so they had um, their stuff at two different places. Um, you know, boats, cars, all sorts of stuff to deal with. Oh. Um, so we had all that legal side of things, I guess, to work through for a few months. Um, and because my dad's will was not up to date, we had to go through the courts to get power of attorney over their estate, because uh, in his will he'd left all of his all the estate to um, a couple of our uncles, one of which had passed away, and the other one had pretty bad Alzheimer's at that time. So. 
Um, so we was in no state to make decisions. So we had to go through the courts to get our names, um, you know, on the estate and that sort of thing, process all that kind of thing, and then actually go through all their belongings, which is a really tough process in itself. And, you know, decide what to keep, what to sell, what to get rid of, what to give away. Yeah. Um, and then I guess trying to reintegrate back into some form of normality. So all that chaos for the first few months had passed and things had quieted down and people stopped contacting you. Then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, wow, okay, I have to get back into life at some point and yeah. get back to work and, and um, see people again and, and do normal things again and, and start trying to process this and move on. Um, I mean, I think the grieving process is different for everybody. I certainly... I felt like I'd made a lot, lot, lot of progress with it after about six months and mm-hmm. really started to bring myself back out there again. And then after a few months, kind of <laughs> went downhill again and quickly realised I hadn't been leaving and maybe I was a little bit too quick. And, um, you know, and that maybe the grieving process never really stops completely. There's always an element of it there and something I think about still daily and yeah. get reminded of that on a regular basis. Um, so, yeah, it's an ongoing process, but each day just gets a little bit easier. And so with your... Um, I guess with your relationship with your girlfriend, from from my perspective, you know, it's it's the speed mentality, right? Like it's Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. Like they get together in this, and it's a bit different, but they get together in this extreme situation. But it doesn't last because it's, you know, it's not real life. Um, and you've gone. And this- in this scenario, is Ryan Sandra Bullock or Keanu Reeves? <laughs> he can be whoever he wants to be. Like I'm, okay. I'm not. Uh, um, keep but- going. I just was curious what you were picturing. Yeah. Yeah, good, good. Um, but, you know, these sorts of things can tear relationships apart as well mm. as you're kind of trying to process things on your own. How have you guys managed to keep your relationship strong? Well, first of all, I'm definitely Sandra Bullock because Keanu Reeves is a terrible <laughs> <laughs> Um, But I, I guess I kind of alluded to it earlier. We kind of had different things to work on as well as a lot of similar things to work on. Um, for her, I guess there was elements of, um, you know, wanting to try and support me through a diff- difficult situation. Obviously, it was my parents that I lost, but that doesn't make the experience any less mm. difficult or, or, or better for her. She'd also been through a hell of a situation herself and had her own grieving and her own processing to do. And, you know, it's hard to support somebody else in that sort of situation when you're also dealing with your own stuff, I guess. Um, but we basically just did our best. Um, yeah. Again, she was absolutely amazing throughout that process. And, uh, but yeah, there was definitely an element of, of couples counselling in there, as well as our own individual uh, bits and bobs and um, and different things that we needed to work through. She probably, you know, was a bit more fearful of the ocean and of boats and, and things like that after the accident, understandably so. Whereas I'd grown up on them, and you know, I was back in the ocean almost straight away and, and didn't blink, um, and, and back on boats straight away, and it doesn't phase me at all, which I thought it would, but it didn't. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's more about you know the things that I've had to deal with are more around how I responded in the aftermath. Did I do the right things? Did I make the right decisions? Could I have done something differently? Would the outcome have even changed if I'd done something differently? Were we prepared enough on that day? You know, all sorts of questions that, you know, are probably not much good in asking yourself because there's, there's no answer to it. Um, but you can't help but ask yourself. That, that process of going, okay, there's like you, you've probably questioned yourself and, and your, your preparation. There's probably been questions that have come from others as well, like um, that have that have had criticisms around kind of the experience. Like how do you deal with that sort of situation? Mm. Well, thankfully, not really, actually. I think most people are right. pretty sensitive to it and, and I think realised that we did the best that we could in the circumstances and, and made a lot of right decisions along the way. But um, So I guess it's more internally beating myself up <laughs> about wondering, wondering what I could have done differently um, and that yeah. sort of thing. Like I mentioned earlier, I worked as a lifeguard for a long time and always would like to think that I would have reacted well in an emergency situation and and, and been calm and, and clear-headed and made all the right decisions, but you never really know how you're going to react until you're actually in that situation. Um, and in the chaos of the moment, people always make mistakes and, and overlook things and you can always go, oh, geez, in hindsight, I would have done that differently or tried to do that instead, but... Um, yeah, I think now I've come to a better place of accepting that the outcome wouldn't have changed no matter what I did. Um, a lot of that, I guess, was supported by the autopsy report of my parents um, that said basically they both had pretty serious head injuries and, and took on water once they um, were thrown into the water when the boat flipped. Um, and so, yeah, trying to resuscitate them at their age, at that temperature, you know, when they've got existing head injuries, water 
in their lungs, that sort of thing. It was going to be almost impossible, even in a hospital setting, is what I've been told by a friend of mine that's a doctor. So, oh, so that gave me a little bit more peace of mind. But even just, you know, did I, you know, could I have got the EPIRB out and, and tried to activate that? Could I have, you know, tried something different? Could I have uh, done the resource on top of the boat, which would have been almost impossible? But, you know, just all those sorts of things that run through your mind. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, it's been a long process, but I'm certainly coming to a better place with it now. Um, and yeah, I've realized now that it was just a freak accident. Now, this work, this stuff that you've done, I don't imagine anyone's going to go through exactly what you went through very often. Mm. But people are going to go through some stuff where they're dealing with potential regret, I guess is probably, mm. is, that, is that a good way of describing it? Like potential regret where you're like, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Regret and survivor's guilt are probably the things I need to deal with, but also the risk of developing PTSD. So mm-hmm. I did some pretty intensive work the first few months to try to process the images and, um, you know, the really bad memories that I had um, imprinted on my brain, basically, using yeah. a few different techniques. Yeah. yeah, the first month or two, I did not sleep well. I was getting all sorts of flashbacks and images and, and bad dreams and all that sort of thing. And um, thankfully, the work I did um, on that, has managed to stop it and haven't had it back since then. Whether that's just the natural progress of time, I'm not sure. But it's, it's not. I certainly felt like it helped in the moment. Um, as someone who has who went through PTSD, time doesn't mm. heal PTSD. Work does. Mm. Um, yeah. Not easy stuff either. But I'm curious as to what you would tell someone who might be dealing with similar stuff to you, if you could give them any two or three or one bits of advice, what would you give them? Well, I would say listen to the people around you, first yeah. of all, because it's easy to get trapped in your own head. Um, and like yeah. I said, I would beat myself up with the thoughts that were going through my head. But everybody that I talked to, you know, it's like, man, you guys were amazing. You responded really, really well. You did all the right things. You made a bunch of great decisions. And yeah beat yourself up about it and as so many people say to me geez if it was that that was me in that position i would have just absolutely lost it and i would have you know thrown in the towel or i would have yeah. responded differently or you know um just i don't know how i would have responded so so definitely listen to the people around you and, and try to get out of your own head but um but yeah i mean i've certainly just tried to open up about it as much as i can just talk to people um you know, so even talking to you guys about it now, I mean, I, I still get a little bit upset when I talk about the more personal sort of moments of it. But yeah. but I've probably told the story, you know, 30 or 40 times now to different people and, and close friends and family. So, mm. um, you know, the, the more I talk about it, the easier it gets and, and the more sort of different points you can get on your own internal thoughts and, yeah. Um, and yeah, hopefully pull you out of your own head a little bit. That's a great piece of advice that I was not expecting. Like, that's cool. Like, that's really cool. Uh, listen to those around you but i mean so just lean on your support networks as well i mean thankfully i've got an amazing family yeah who again have grown closer since the accident um and we all kind of supported each other through it and i've got a good network of friends my workplace was absolutely amazing it must be said as well so you know they gave us as much work as we wanted no you know and the job was going to be there for us when we came back and um you know, didn't take it out of our sick leave or anything like that, just gave us indefinite leave until we were ready to come back. I came back in a part-time um, capacity to start with and then eased back into my job again. Um, they donated $5,000 to the fundraiser. That oh, I really? As well. Um, yeah, and, you know, and gave us free counselling sessions and all sorts of stuff that was, you know, um, not necessarily expected of them. It's not like this happened at work. It was it had anything to do with them, but they absolutely came to the party and, and were absolutely amazing to us. But, um, but like I was saying, I've got a really great support network around me and yeah. I'm very thankful. For that. And, and not, every, not everybody necessarily does have that, but whatever support you do have, um, definitely talk to people and, and open up about it and draw on whatever support you can get. Obviously, life is very different now. How is Ryan different now than two years ago? Like, what has this taught you? What have you, what have you learned and picked up along this process? Good question. I mean, my life has obviously physically changed in terms of, um, you know, my relationships. Um, I bought a house um, with a lot of the inheritance that we got from my parents and managed to get into the property market, which was probably never going to happen without it. <laughs> so, um, so in terms of the, the practical aspect, it's changed a lot. But I guess uh, the personal aspect, um, I've definitely matured a lot over the last couple of years, re- realised a lot more about, I guess, you know, it sounds... 
uh, cliched, but how precious life is and, and how much you need to hurry up and get on with the things that you really want to do because you never know when that opportunity might be taken away or when things might change. Um, yeah, certainly formed a lot of closer relationships with people and and realised who a lot of my real friends are, the ones that have you know been packed and supportive over yeah. the last couple of years and things that haven't or have just disappeared. Um, yeah. But also I also realised that a lot of people deal with it differently, like, in the, the immediate aftermath, some people would come up to you and, and be geez, like, and say, you know, oh, I feel so sorry for you, man, you know, and, and to be open and, and want to talk about it up front, whereas other people will completely skirt around the issue and avoid talking about it at all because, I don't know, maybe I fear that they might upset me or or that I don't want to talk about it or something like that. Um, but some people that I'm very, very close to have, have not even mentioned it and <laughs> seem like don't want to talk about it. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of interesting in that regard. But, um but yeah, I guess in terms of personal growth, that's probably the biggest area. I was going to say earlier, I, I read a, well, I actually listened to a podcast, didn't read the book because I'm too lazy, but I listened to an <laughs> audio book um, called Any Ordinary Day by Lee Sales, who's uh, done a lot of work with the ABC. You might be familiar yeah, with the name. It's a great yeah, book. And anyway, I've read it. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Um, that gave me a couple of things, I guess. First of all, it put what happened to me in perspective because, um, you know, bad stuff happens all the time, like I said. And, and a lot of other people have been through much, much worse. And even just listening to one of your podcasts the other day, the one with um, Suzanne, yeah. about all the stuff that she's been through, um, kind of made my experience kind of pale into insignificance next to what she's been through. So, so firstly, getting out of your own bubble and realising that there's people around you that are dealing with stuff everywhere. Yeah. Um, secondly, also, there's a concept in that book around post-traumatic growth as opposed mm-hmm. to post-traumatic stress or whatever it might be. Um and it found that people that have been through really traumatic or life-changing events quite often, you know, after that initial period of grieving and maybe going backwards a little bit, quite often end up um, becoming a much bigger, better, improved version of themselves and, and pushing on with their lives and having amazing growth in all sorts of other areas because it spurs them on and encourages them. Like I said, it makes you realise how short and how precious life is. Yeah. Um, so how did you do that then? Like how, how did you have this growth experience and i feel like you know you kind of have these options a fork in the road at some point where you go well i'm going to choose to lean into this growth opportunity or i'm just going to bury my head in the sand for a bit longer and and maybe just delve into some depression like you know what was there <laughs> maybe do both you yeah, maybe both yeah. but yeah is there a specific thing that you were able to do that helped you in that that journey um, yeah, well, I'd say I definitely did both. I mean, there's been an element of friction in there and, and substance abuse and all sorts of things. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you just get to a point where, again, thankfully, because I've got a great network of people around me, they, um, they pull me back out of it. And, um, and I realised that I've got a lot more to live for and need to get out of my own, my own head sometimes. I mean, I've only just started that journey, to be honest. I mean, hopefully you can interview me again in 10 years and, and see where that journey of growth has taken me. But... Um, here's the fun thing here's the fun thing post-traumatic growth isn't one of those things that's slow once it gets going it happens fast and so when you say 10 years i I burst out laughing because i was like no it'll be one year right (laughs) yeah so yeah it's something i'm I'm trying to move towards more and certainly have a long way to go on still but um but yeah in terms of just progressing my relationships my career my my self-growth what i want to achieve in life um you know travel is a little bit limited at the moment obviously with covid but you know and just doing the things that i want to do and um saying the things that i want to say um one thing i I definitely regret after the accident was not telling my parents enough how much i love them um and so i'm free and easy with that expression these days and say to anybody and everybody that i have feelings for so so we love you too ryan i love you (laughs) (laughs) that um post-traumatic thing is it's real and i want to commend you on your recognition that you were starting down that path i didn't recognize it for my own experience but i didn't recognize it soon enough and so i guess i've i'm trying to get more involved in the mental health space um at the moment um so having more conversations like this with you guys but um also there's an organization called happiness co that yeah um has been with for uh been involved with for a, a few years now um and i'm i'm pretty keen to get a bit more involved with them myself and start sharing my story uh, on a regular basis and, and what I've learned out of it, I guess. And yeah, when you can when you can leverage your experiences to benefit others is that's mm. such a huge uh, place to arrive at. I think there's a tension in there somewhere as well because uh, there's the work that needs to be done before you can leverage the experience. And I think there's a lot of people that have mm. an experience to try to leverage that for the benefit of others. They'll start a not-for-profit, they'll do a thing, they'll have a mm. fundraiser 
and that's the, they don't actually grow beyond that. They're just kind of trapped in that cycle yeah. of um, their experience creates their environment. Um, but it's when those that do the work can actually get to a point where they are healthy and whole, and then that leverage of their experience is so much greater because of the journey and the work that they've done. So I think mm-hmm. that's to be commended, Brian. Yeah, thanks. Well, something I'm, I'm definitely trying to be mindful of. And like I said, my, my grieving journey is not necessarily finished. Um, but yeah, I think I'm in a good enough place now to yeah. be able to open up about and, and share whatever wisdom and insights I learned from it with other people, um, yeah. which again will hopefully help me. You mentioned the Lease Sales book. Was that Any any Ordinary Day? Is that what it was called? That's right, yep. Um, you mentioned Happiness Co. Is there anything else that you're listening to or reading that you think would be helpful? Uh, the Lead Different podcast is pretty good. <laughs> Signing up to Ignite program myself, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, can't give a review just yet. But I've heard good things. Honestly, the, the Ignite program is my journey out of out of PTSD uh, and beginning to mm. create a deliberate future for who I wanted to become and who I wanted to be. Um, and, it, and it's my experience. You're only talking about you've joined the Happiness Co to use your story. That's essentially mm. what the Ignite journey is. Except for I focus more on the the journey out rather than what the the tragedy up to, because the tragedy up to for mm. me is whatever not as compelling or interesting and that's a journey that i certainly need to go on and probably a lot of people need to go on about you know creating that deliberate future because in hindsight now i realize um before the accident i was just drifting a bit through life and just kind of going with the flow um whereas now i'm a lot more intentful and and purposeful about where i want to go and and trying to create that and make it happen rather than just wishing on well ryan um thank you doesn't seem to do it service uh you've you've um yeah you've been so generous with your time and your story and we're really grateful for that and we think it's not only helped us during this conversation but it will connect with a lot of people and give them some some encouragement and some wisdom so thank you so much for being part of this podcast my absolute pleasure thanks for having me on guys really appreciate the opportunity and enjoy the work you do thanks very much Thanks for listening to the Lead Different podcast. At Lead Different, we are building leaders worth following. And if you'd like to find out more information about this and leading yourself well, head to leaddifferent.org.